Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode of the Connection Loop podcast. Um, today, we have a legend with us, a living legend. In fact, it's John Barrows. Now, I've had a chance to consume a lot of John's content. And, uh, you know, he's got grit. He's honest. In fact, he's brutally honest. Um, and he's got some, some amazing tactics, methods, best practices, and frankly, just ways to, to build relationships and to close sales. So without further ado, John, if you could start with a short, brief bio, and then let's get into this topic. Hey, Ruben. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the quick and dirty is I uh, grew up here in Boston, still live here, went to school at Maryland, drank my way through four years of college, got my degree in marketing, realized I didn't want to do that because it was kind of a... Yeah, I didn't want to do that uh, and got into sales with DeWalt, selling top power tools to construction workers, then Xerox. That's where I got my real formal sales education, got my ass kicked. And not only was I selling copiers, I was selling copiers to the government. So it was a double negative. Um, that's where I learned relationship selling and how to take rejection. After that, started a company with a few friends of mine doing IT services, a small startup, um, outsourced IT services, self-funded. I was 23, didn't know what I was doing, took every training there was, Sandler, Miller, Hyman, Taz, Spin, you name it, I took it. Came across a company called Basho, which was training I absolutely loved because it was super tactical. Uh, used it to help grow the company. We were the fastest growing company in Massachusetts for about three, four years in a row there. Got us to about 80, uh, 85 employees, 12 million in revenue, sold us off to Staples. Staples bought us, um, spent about a year going through that fun transition, got fired from Staples because I can't keep my mouth shut and I'm definitely not a corporate guy. You'll find that out uh, if you listen to me in any way, shape or form. And then from there, uh, started with Basho as a trainer. And then long story short, they screwed it up and I took it over. So I've uh, been off on my own now for about uh, 10 years. And now I work with, I train, uh, we got about 15 people on the t at the company now. And we train companies like Salesforce, LinkedIn, Box, Dropbox, uh, Amazon, tons of that. Most, a lot of SaaS companies, but not that this is SaaS training. It's just, we like playing in the SaaS world because it's pretty innovative. That, that sweet recurring revenue helps everyone. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holy um, grail, right? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to kind of open up with this with this idea of um, you know I think about uh, I think about nano and I think about quantum a lot when I think about sort of perspective and I think about growth and you know there's this idea that if you want to look at the macro you have to look at the micro you yep. know if you want to look at the micro you have to look at the macro when I think about sales I think about where a 22 year old salesperson can get their feet wet and yeah. chances are it's probably picking up the phone sending emails. And starting to engage people that are massively cold, like I'm saying from the tundra cold. <laughs> yep. Right. And but the ultimate goal of that person is is the growth mindset. It is yeah. what is the, what is the macro? What is the nano? What? How do I take this? Where am I going to be in in 20 years from now? What are the massive relationships that I'm going to build? How are those going to um, affect my life and affect the lives of others and possibly uh, multiple brands along the way? So I'd love to understand this idea of how we get started small but with a massive growth mindset. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting question, right? Because I've been through this recently, uh, revisited this, and I think this is more important now than ever, which is to really take a step back before anything and, and kind of look at the why and the values piece. 
Um, you know, I, I had one, I, I read, I think it was early in my career. I read think and grow rich early on. And, and nice. there was something in there about your core values. And so I remember putting them down and, yeah. and that was, that helped me a lot when I was younger. Cause it, it ended up being my decision stack in the sense that anytime I was making a decision, once I had those, those values written down, I was able to match them up against those values. And if they matched up against the values, I did it. If they didn't, I didn't. Right. Cause we all need reminders every once in a while to like what's stretching our values and what's not. And so I think like, and now at 46, you know, my, so for me, growth mindset, where this is coming from is about a year and a half ago. Oh, oh there we go. Sorry. Um, about a year and a half ago, I didn't, you know, we just changed formats. Uh, but, um, you know, my dad passed away and what was interesting was, um, it's not that him passing away really screwed me up. It's what, what screwed me up was I got ripped out of my business for about, I don't know, five weeks or so. And, and when I plugged back in, the business was running without me basically. And so it really kind of put me in a position like, what do, what does that mean? Like, what, where, where's my value? What am I supposed to do here? Mm. And, and so I went through this journey for about a year and a half of really not knowing, not being very clear on what I wanted to do. And I look back and I realized we got through COVID really well as a business, right? Mm -hmm. And there were certain things that, that we did as a business that got us through. And so I look back and I said, what are those things that we did as a business to get us through that I could potentially apply to myself personally to help me get through? And what was clear was at, at our company, we were crystal clear on our why and our values and our vision and what we were trying to do. We also executed pretty quickly and experimented with a lot of things. And we practiced a lot of gratitude. So by applying those to myself personally, going back and resetting on my why, resetting, like reevaluating and making sure my values were still what they were, and then, you know, starting to execute, it put me in a position where I now am much more clear of why I'm doing what I do. Um, I believe more now than ever in what I'm doing. And that belief that, that I always tell people, look, if you really want to be successful in sales, you have to genuinely believe in what you're selling. Because if you're just trying to hawk what the hell ever just to get a commission check and get your, then you'll, you'll make some money, but you're going to live a pretty, I think, average life as far as satisfaction is concerned. But if you genuinely believe in what you're selling and that it makes a difference for the right person, I'm not saying sales is easy. I'm just saying it's a lot easier and it's a lot more fulfilling. So with that, why values, you start there, Right. Then you start to find companies that align with those to start your career at, right? So because so many kids get into sales and they're just, ah, I'm just going to get into sales. And don't get me wrong, get into sales, right? And, and you're going to, but just realize you're going to take an ass whooping for the first mm. few years here, okay? Mm. And that ass whooping is a lot easier to deal with when you're working for a company that you believe in and that you know makes a difference, it's a lot more satisfying. So, so I think that's where you can start to select the type of company and the type of product, service, whatever that you want to sell. And then you can start to chip away at the skills necessary to be successful at it. So I actually look at it as macro first and then micro. Nice. Macro nice. on the why and the values. Find the, you know, get it down to the companies and the products and the services that you could see yourself believing in. And then the micro of the tactics and the techniques on how to execute. You know, I really, I really appreciate that perspective. Uh, it's extremely tactical to think like that. You know, I remember young in my career, I had this, this vision of grandeur in my mind. I wanted to be this sort of tech CEO. I wanted to build this big company. And I didn't want to put in the work initially to go right. and build that, right? So I was sort of rooted in my ego. And as a result, I was kind of frozen, right? Yeah. And I was isolated. And I was actually not able to do a lot of the things that I needed to do to ultimately, you know, overcome that and accomplish that. 
And what I really appreciate about what you said is that it's the process. You know, yes. when you invest into the process, that's where the magic happens. I wanted to share a very quick story with you on yeah. one of my first jobs, which is uh, selling women's shoes. Nice. And I remember, <laughs> and this Al is Al Bundy, huh? Al Bundy. Al Bundy. Right. I love That's it. Right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I was Al Bundy. Exactly. And I was, um, and I was at uh, the Northridge mall. Uh, and it looked exactly like the mall from Stranger Things because you know it's all based <laughs> oh, in the San Fernando Valley, probably. Yeah. And I and I remember saying, "Hey, boss, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if I could, you know, sell shoes." And my boss uh, said to me, um, "She said, listen, there's something really important that you need to know. When people are sad, they look down. You know, when they're depressed, they always look down because they don't have confidence. They don't, they don't want to look at the world, right? They don't have hope. They're looking. They're rooted in the past." Imagine if you can sell them something that when they look at it, when they look down their shoes, it makes them feel happy again. It brings them joy. Ooh. It brings them confidence. And all of a sudden, I was like, Ooh. all right. I was like, wait a minute. I love you're, that. You're telling me that I'm not selling shoes. You're telling me that I'm selling happiness. Yeah. Okay. I'm in. I, I'm in. I, I get the chill still that. to this date about this story. And what I, my takeaway from this was that it was not about the shoes. It was, it was about the people and it was about selling happiness. And then I started to really enjoy the process. Right. And then all of a sudden I became good at selling shoes. Now I eventually quit because the summer was over, right. <laughs> um, yeah. but it was a massive, massive lesson that, that changed my life. So I think the process and thinking bigger on ultimately what I want to do is bringing joy and happiness. That's the biggest driver. That's right. And it's about just getting, I think that, that growth mindset of, mm -hmm you know, just trying to get a little bit better every day. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm not like, look, people say five, 10 years out. What, what do you want? Like, come on. I don't know what five days out looks like in this world right now. You know what I mean? So, but I know what I can control. I know what I can control. And I know, and I know I can work on getting a little bit better today than I was yesterday. Like my daughter and I, um, she's 11 and, um, Back a few years ago, my wife and I were pretty heated with what was going on politically and all this other stuff. And we were like yelling at the television and all this stuff. And I could say, I could tell my six-year-old daughter was picking up on that. And so she started being angry and yelling. And I was like, holy shit. Okay, hold on a second. And I took a step back and I said, sweetheart, we, we, we can't control what's on the television. You, you Literally, there's nothing we can do about what's happening on that television. So we need to focus on what we can control. So let's talk about what can we control. And we came up with this little acronym, which is E-A-T, EAT. Effort, attitude, and how you treat people. You can control your effort, how hard you work or how little you work. Your attitude, how positive or negative it is, and how you treat other people. You can't control how other people treat you, but you can control how you treat other people. So I said, that's what we can control, right? Effort, attitude, and how you treat people. So we have this little handshake we do every morning to remind us of that. And, and it's this mindset of like, there's so many things that are outside of our control. So why worry about that stuff? Worry about the stuff that you can control. You can control getting up in the morning. You can control going to work. You can control doing that extra push-up, that extra cold call, that extra whatever. That's what you can control instead of sitting home watching Netflix and doing your stupid, you know what I mean? So those are the type of things that I think, and, and you mentioned this, Ruben, you know, the fundamentals, right? I, I mean, and I'm going to bring this to New England Patriots here, which most people probably hate, is, you know, Bill Belichick, the do your job mantra, like, just do your job. Do, the, the winningest sales press professionals I've ever come across in my life, they're actually kind of boring because they do the fundamentals, but they do them consistently and they do them really, really well. Right? Yeah. 
There are no, exactly. Right. So that, that to me is exactly it. There's no, you just, you have to put in the work. Like I want to get in shape. Right. But I'm looking for shortcuts and stuff like, I know I just got to get my fat ass off of my couch and I got to go to, I, I have a gym in my house for crying out loud that I built and I walk by it to go to bed every day. And I'm like, Oh man, uh, you know, take an hour a day, John. And instead of going out and having a drink or coming, you know, whatever, just go to the fucking gym. And I, but I, you know what I mean? So it's, it's really that's, I, I'd hate to say it, but it's really that simple. Mm -hmm. Right. What, what do you think, John, what, you mentioned, you know, sales and doing the right things. What, what do you think the biggest challenge is today in sales with the current landscape? What do you think the biggest challenge is out there? Oh man, there's so many. Um, I think it's the, the, the such, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier. I think it's the, the, the snippet world that we're in. Okay. In the sense that I just read this stat that like eight out of 10 posts get reposted without people clicking on them that just for the title alone, you know what I mean? So if you post an article and you put the title that eight out of 10 people will retweet or post that without even reading it. Right. People we're such a short term satisfaction world right now that people aren't patient enough to, to wait for the process to play out. Right. I mean, it's, it's like a lot of things. Like if you try something a couple of times, I mean, think about golf, right? If you have no patience, don't play golf, period. Oh, because you it. are going to like, you are going to suck at golf so hard for the first year, right? Because you're going to put your hands in a weird way. You're going to interlock it. You're going to literally feel like you're on candid camera the first time you <laughs> play golf, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if you just, and if you tried it that one time and you were like, oh man, this isn't for me, then you're never going to enjoy what golf could actually bring yeah. you for the rest of your life. Yeah. So you have to put in the work for it. So I think the, the short term mentality right now of, I want that quick hit. I need that endorphin rush. It's why reps get so excited when they see open rates on their emails. It's like, are you kidding me right now? Who gives a rat's ass who opened your email? Mm. Did they respond to your email? Now, don't get me wrong. The open is an indicator that, you know, maybe your subject line got their attention. So maybe whatever in that subject line is something you should lean into, but they like, Oh, we look at it. He opened up my email. It's like, who fucking cares? Mm. Like, yeah. like, so I think it's this, it's what you said earlier about the client having more education than they've ever had and the less tolerance for sales than they've ever had. And a sales rep looking for the quick, um, endorphin rush of whatever the thing is that they need to do. They've gamified it. They got to get their badge for, you know, right. going through and asking their stupid bant questions or filling out their medic form or any of that crap. Well, it's mm. like that Amazon filtration of yeah. the world has become like, you know what? I'm going to look for my, product. I want to be left alone. I'm going to put my blinders on. I'm going to look for what I want. But this is the thing though. The world will always need, in my opinion, the world will always need salespeople. Because oh, yeah. when you actually decide, even when you've got that wonderful content, you, you're kind of moving towards it, you're looking at it, they still want to probably speak with someone about, okay, this is kind of what I'm looking to do. This is a big thing. I, let's, now, now I want to talk to someone. Now I want to engage. There's actually statistics that show that as they get further and further down the sales process, they want to talk to sales reps more and more. Right. At the beginning, right. they don't. So if I'm a sales rep, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, a, I'm literally a mini marketer on the front end. It's about impressions. That's why I'm going to call. I'm going to email. I'm going to retweet. I'm going to comment because it's really about just creating an impression and an awareness to it so that then by the time, so then the some product led growth, they come to us, they start using it, whatever it is. But when they get to the point where they're like, uh, now they raise their hand and say, I actually need somebody to talk to about this. And, and that to me, 
goes back to sales reps not forcing people through this archaic sales process of stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, right? Like that to me is so antiquated because clients come in and out whenever they feel like at this point. Discovery isn't a stage. It's a, it, You should be doing it throughout the entire thing so that mm. sales rep, when they get there, they need to be educated to the point where they can have a real conversation with the client and actually show them real things and, and be able to demo it without an engineer, right? Because otherwise, what's the point of a sales rep? Like if, it, right. if that's going right. to happen, if all that's going to happen and the client just needs some education, well, then why do we hire sales reps? Why not just hire engineers or customer success and forget about right. quotas here for a second? Right. But th there is value in sales reps, but only real good ones. Like I think average sales reps right now are dying a painful death, mm. painful death that they don't even know they're doing. They're all going through the motions, throwing out these generic cadences, making generic cold calls, leaving stupid messages, asking bant questions, pressing play on demos. All of that is being taken care of by technology. All of it. Mm. Like I can do it, but I scare SDR teams uh, uh, like really a lot these days because I'll walk into an organization and I'll say this. If I was a new VP of sales in this organization, the first thing I would do, first thing I would do is I would say, I want to see every email that goes out right now. I want to see every email that goes out from the SDR and the BDR team. Give me up. And if they were all templated piece of crap emails, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to save this company a whole bunch of money right now. I'm going to fire every one of you I'm going to hire a marketing ops person. I'm going to go to the boards with something like Marketo, Eloqua, Pardot, pick one, whatever. And I'm going to optimize the hell out of those sequences and do it a thousand times better than a rep ever could. Because the marketing person's actually going to look at the data and the analytics and make adjustments where sales reps are just going to push buttons on sales loft and outreach. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So without a sales rep putting thought into what they're doing, I, and here's something for everybody to listen to. This is something I stole from Gary Vaynerchuk, which I think is really important for all of us to consider. Marketing and sales, okay? Gary said, said this, that everybody talks about content is king. Content is king. He said, fine. If content is king, then context is God. That, to me, is marketing and sales. Marketing is content. Sales is context. If we as sales professionals are not putting any context around our content, we're no different than marketing. And I have no idea why we're getting paid to do what we do. Mm. Yeah, well, great well, you know, there, there's an interesting uh, thing that I wanted to kind of throw in here. You mentioned this idea of discovery being at every stage of the process, right? Yeah. And I wanted to share this, this visual here with you. And this is actually an old school image. It's an infographic that comes from um, HubSpot. Right. Yep. And it talks about this idea of the awareness stage, the consideration stage and the decision stage. And what I really connect to is this idea that uh, you are talking about. There's a there's a little bit of an echo, so I'm not sure if someone needs to put some headphones on. But um, what I was going to say is this idea of <clears throat> where uh, discovery happens at every stage. Right. So it's not like people are just buying right now and then they go on and get an account manager and then they go on and everything's. Great. They're constantly making discoveries. They're constantly making decisions and constantly making choices to ultimately work with us, make a referral. So I really appreciate that sort of cyclical effect of constantly focusing on discovery. Here's, here's a quick tip for everybody listening. Every single second, third, fourth meeting you ever have with anybody. So your first meeting, do your discovery, your qualification, whatever you want. Your second meeting, okay? Here's a simple little tactic you can do. The first question you should ask everybody on your second, third, fourth, fifth meeting What's changed? Mm. 
just, just, and that can be your small talk, right? So if we're, we're getting, if, you know, three, four, five people, I'll be like, hey, Ruben, hey, before we get started here, hey, what's changed? Not has anything changed, not close into question. What's changed since our last conversation, even if it was a week ago? Because things change so fast right now, it's bananas. So by just asking the what's changed question, you'd be amazed at what people are t telling me these days. Oh, well, you know, we hired a couple of people and we're doing this. And what they're saying there is you as a sales professional should be listening and saying, Ooh, either that's really good because I can actually leverage that for this thing or, Whoa, those are red flags. And they might not even see that that's a red flag, but I know that's a red flag. Cause you know what I mean? Like hiring new leadership or any of those things. I mean, how many times have you been in this situation where you're, you're all in with kind of a main point of contact, right? And you got your solution and they give you the verbal, they're like, we're doing this. And they're like, well, yeah, we're hiring a new VP of blah, blah, blah. But that's really, that's not going to have anything to do with this really because we're making this decision. And as soon as I hear you're hiring a new leadership, I, I stop. I'm like, no, I mean, unless you're going to sign the contract today and get this thing before that person comes on board, then we might as well just stop talking at this point because there's not a shot in hell. A new leader is going to come in and be like, yeah, sure. I don't know what you guys are doing. Fine. Make that investment. They're going to want to bring in their own stuff that they know. So that what's changed and constantly digging. And I think a, a superpower that the best sales reps have that I notice, and, and I think it's one of mine too, is, is genuine curiosity. Like if you can, if you're genuinely curious, which means you have to care, by the way, that's the, that's the key to this fact, to being genuinely curious. If you're genuinely curious, then you're, con you're almost constantly qualifying, but disqualifying too. Like I, I, after I qualify an account, like after they kind of look like a duck, smell like a duck type of thing. I actually do all I can to disqualify them. I ask them all the questions that they, that I, that why they shouldn't be doing business with me. Because guess what? Those are going to come up anyways. Mm. You know what I mean? Like they're going to figure those out of it or somebody on their organization is going to figure that out. Otherwise, I might as well get them out in the front and see how, see how major those things are. And I'll be the first one to tell you, we're not a good fit here. Actually, you should go talk to Jeffrey Gittimer. You should go talk to so-and-so because I'm not a fit for what you're looking for at that level. Mm. And then that weird reverse psychology snaps in, right? Wait, you don't want my business? No, I want it. I just don't need it. And, and I only want business that is, I actually can make, like hit a home run with. I tell people that all the time. If I can't hit a home run for you, like if we're talking just a little bit better than your current situation, let's stop having this conversation. Well, John, kind of piggybacking on that. Like what's, what's the most famous sales movie of all time? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Though. You got it, right? So you so see you, all this like arm twisting and all this kind of stuff, right? Back to like the, movies. yeah, but back to the buyers having info, right? Like you're talking about, like when someone's sitting there and you're being open and honest with them about like, John, listen, I would love to help you here, but here's a list of things why we, why it's just not a good fit. The moment you're telling them the opposite of what you're saying, like you do, like, you know, strategy wise, yep. it immediately validates you. It immediately gives them an impression. They can trust you in three. If you're telling them something that isn't the case, they're going to find that out. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? So so we are yep. in like an all out emperor has no clothes moment in sales in terms of like you've got to bring that trust and value right up front. Because if not, there are too many other options. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I tell people all the time, this is what we're great at and this is what we're not great at. Yep. I tell them, I go, we're average at this. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're good. I'm not saying we're bad. We're, we're just good. Like I'll give you a quick example. We are fantastic when it comes to prospecting. Like I will put our prospecting training up against anybody in the industry and I wouldn't even blink about it. Okay. But if you come to me and your major challenge is discovery. Okay. Like say you're like, you know what? We, we're, we're okay on prospecting and we do decent once we have like a proposal, we have a really high close ratio, but man, our discovery is really tough. 
if discuss and I and I keep asking questions around what else, what else, what else. But if I can really figure out that like your main problem is discovery, then I'm gonna say, you know what, go call uh, my buddy Jim Keenan. Uh, he runs Gap Selling. He's got that book Gap Selling. Um, he hyper focuses on on the gap, if you will, which is the qualification, which is the discovery and finding that out. So talk to him. Cause, cause I, I have good discovery stuff, but it's, it's bolt. It, it's together with a whole big program. Whereas Keenan's program goes very deep on discovery and that's what you need. And people I will be like, that I saw that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's one of my favorite books on, you know, it's one of my favorite trainings on qualification. Right. So I'm not going to sit here and, because I know I could cobble something together for somebody like, and I could make it and don't get me wrong. Once they come out of my training, they're going to think it was awesome. But did it really address the true need that they had? Probably not. You know what I mean? I gave them some tips and some structure around it. But if they're so go talk to them. And guess what? When I say that, they'll go talk to Keenan and then they'll come back to me and say, hey, we need more meetings. Can we do that prospecting stuff you were talking about? Great. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, I one of the things that I think about uh, when I listen to you, John, is this idea of there's what if I were an SDR. And you might tell me this is what you should do. And this is some good, some sort of best practices. And they're probably going to work really well. I might see myself saying, well, I don't want to be an SDR. I want to be like John Barrows. I want to be a <laughs> podcaster. I want to be a keynote speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I want to write books and I want to, and I want to be, I want to be the man or the woman. Right. And uh, you know, there's this, there's this idea where, uh, you know, going back to the micro, the macro, where if you jump those steps, can't. Uh, you know, you sort of lose out and you ultimately can't do anything. I mean, when you started in your career, um, what was your big vision? <laughs> I don't think I had one. You know, I was, I, I think I'm, it's weird. I'm not really, I talk about goal setting and how important that is and making sure, but I'm not, I'm not really a hardcore goal setter. I, I, I'm more of an evolutionist. Like I, I have a vision, right. Of where I want to go, but I, it's more of a lifestyle for me. So I'm like, I know the lifestyle that I want to live, right. As far as, for, and for me, it's about freedom. It's not about money. It's about freedom. Like if we go to back to those core values that we were talking about, my number one is family. Two is freedom. I want to have the freedom to do whatever the hell I want to do whenever I want to do it. And money allows for freedom. So therefore money is necessary to be able to do that. But that to me was always like, so I was always just kind of, and, and I think my another superpower I have is, is I'm, a, I'm an opportunist in the sense that I'm definitely not the smartest kid out there. I told you I drank my way through four years of a state school. You know, I did okay, but I'm not a Harvard grad by any stretch. But I'm definitely an opportunist. I can I can usually come into a situation and I with a very few data points, I can put those together and say, yeah, that's a good idea or that's a bad idea. And usually it works out pretty well. And so that's what I've done my entire life is, is I've just kind of evolved and been open to opportunities. I've had direction, but I've been open to opportunities and I've adjusted along the way. But man, I, I mean, I've taken the hard way more often than not. I mean, look, I'm an East Coaster on Boston. When, when I first did a startup, the, the reason I didn't, I went from Xerox to a startup. I, the only reason I went to that startup is because my buddy started the company. But at first I laughed at him. Because I was like, in my mind, as an East Coaster, this was, you know, 20 plus years ago. Nine to five. Startups and entrepreneurship for those weirdos out in California. You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't like, it wasn't cool back then. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, and so, but then I got into it and I'm like, okay. But I mean, we, I, we talk about this all the time. My, my partner and I, uh, Chris, he, uh, if we were in San Francisco, we'd be multimillionaires right now. Cause we come up with ideas and all this other stuff and we're like, ah, it's just not good enough. So eh, where somebody else farts in a box out in California and they get a hundred million for it and then they fail and then they get another hundred million just because. Right. So 
I, like I, I, but I appreciate the fact that I've done it the hard way. I have, I because I have such a genuine respect and appreciation for people that are successful and how they got there and the work it took. And look, can you skip some steps? Sure. I mean, that's what I do. That's why I do what I do. That's why I train because my hope is is that I can I can share some of those learning lessons along the way that that younger sales professionals can learn from and skip a few steps, but not skip all the steps because then you have no context then you have and i'll real quick here there's people out there that i see in this industry sales training industry who i know have never really sold anything if you look at their linkedin profile they've been an influencer they've been a this they've been a what they've been a youtube and they're giving these tips that sound okay to the general person in sales who doesn't know any better but for somebody like us who's been in sales for years we listen to that and be like uh Okay, but you know what I mean? And then you, t so it's like, that's the danger part is like, there's this perception reality factor and people are, are not patient enough to get to that point. But they realize, I mean, again, I'm a huge Gary Vaynerchuk fan. It's like, if you're 20 years old, like you got your life ahead of you. You got 40, minimum 40 more years of a career. Why are you in such a rush? Hmm. Right? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Ruben, well, Ruben, your favorite thing is earn it. That's what you say all the time. Earn it. That's one of my that's one of my core values. Earn it. Earn it. Uh, my right. dad literally like just ground that into my head when I was a kid. Earn it. You want it? Earn it. Okay. And I think yeah. that's a I think the work ethic and earn it factor is what I'm a little bit nervous right now. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm like my dad, you know, these kids these days, blah, blah, blah. But I, I do feel like the the it's not necessarily their fault either, by the way. Um, you know, the trophies and all that crap. That's not their fault. That's our fault. Uh, we gave them the trophies. We felt bad that our kid didn't get their, you know, first place or 10th place and wanted, didn't want to see him cry. So we gave it to him. But the work ethic piece is, I just, I'm not seeing it as much as, as I'd like to these days. Let's put it that way. Well, John, it's like the hack mentality. You know what I mean? It's like the hack mentality. Hack can be a good thing. Like a hack on how to do this, mm -hmm. but it's got to be an earned hack almost, or a hack where yeah. it, it gives you a shortcut to where you need to put the work and it doesn't do all of it for you. That's I think kind of the best analogy I got is, you know, the game, uh, shoots, shoots and ladders. Yeah. Yeah. You still gotta, you can't just take one ladder to the top. Right. Little bit, little bit, small ladder. Cool, cool. Oh, I got a big one. Oh, shit. I just got nailed. You know what I mean? Because I skipped too many steps. Holy shit. I got to go back down to this part. Chug, 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 chug. Oh, a little ladder again. Chug, chug. Oh, big one. Oh, shit. You know what I mean? So every, it, think about it. If you, if you really play shoots and ladders, play it, you know, if you get your kids, play it again. Every time you get the big hit, inevitably you get the big drop. Mm. Like it's just some, <laughs> it's some weird thing of the game. Like it's just, I think it's just the universe telling you, like, you can't skip that many steps. Hmm. I wanted to share uh, three kind of uh, insights with you guys. Uh, you know, the first is this idea of know thyself. Mm. And what I get a lot from you, John, is this idea of the self-awareness. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not good at. There's this brutal honesty. There's this grit that you have to yourself, which I really appreciate. You know, if you look at any philosophy, if you look at any culture, historical or modern, know thyself is a big part of it. Self-awareness. Uh, it's a big part of this. We have to know what we're good at, what we're not good at, what we're passionate about, so on and so forth. You know, the second idea is this idea of repetition. You know, Bruce Lee once said very famously, I don't fear a man that knows a thousand kicks. I fear the man that has practiced one kick a thousand kick. times. Yep. You know, and when I look behind you, John, I see I see that basketball. Yeah. And I remember when I was young and I was I was playing on the court up at uh, uh, Balboa Park. 
And, uh, you know, I was taking some outside shots in the game and some guy says, hey, guys, don't worry about him. He's got no outside shot. And that's what this cat said to me because he wanted to heckle me and probably he just was speaking the truth. And he wanted to communicate that because don't worry if I'm taking a shot outside the line. Right. Um, and I remember, you know, how I felt in that moment. And it was this sort of idea of, you know, of being bullied or being harassed or ridiculed, publicly, publicly shamed. It didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I did, I stopped taking out outside shots. Right. And I was like, all right, I'm a little bit taller. I'm going to be the layup guy. Mm-hmm. And I became the layup guy. And uh, you can't really have a good game with only a layup. Right? Nope. We all know that. Yeah, and I remember that. going for years of my life saying, well, I'm not good at outside shots and actually believing in that just because some punk kid at Balboa Park told me that. Yep. You know, and when I look at that basketball now, I'm reminded of the fact that if you want to get good at outside shots, practice a thousand outside shots. Yep. Go around it around the world and just keep doing that until you're good at outside shots. And guess what? You're going to be good at outside shots, yep. right? Absolutely. And the, the third is thing, everything. Yep. Yeah. And the third thing is this quote from the Sufi poet Rumi, he's, who says, walk into the fire mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, watch where all the truth will, will come and all your supporters and all your belief will come when you do walk through that fire. And when I combine those three things, I get this idea of knowing our weaknesses, mm-hmm. repeating and practicing and then walking into our biggest fears and watching what happens when you come on the outside of that. And you, John Barrows, you are exactly, in my opinion, an embodiment of those of those three things. Thanks. So man. I appreciate I, you for man. Uh, I appreciate it. The, a quick uh, the tip on that one that I share with people is that how I make decisions. And it really aligns with that last point, that, which is there. Ask yourself, no matter what decision you're going to make, right? Ask yourself, what's the worst case scenario? Like literally, what is the absolute worst case scenario? And if you're okay with that worst case scenario, do it. Mm. If you're not, maybe think of another option. And this can be related to anything. Cold calling, right? What's the worst mm. case scenario? They hang up on you. Who gives a shit? Make a call. Uh, going over somebody's head, right? Like, uh, I, I'm here. I got to get here. Well, if you're okay with losing the deal, do it. You know what I mean? But just do it in a, in a real, um, as far as your career is concerned, like say you take a chance and you stop working at one company and you dive into tech sales because you've never been at, what's the worst case scenario? You learn a few things and you get fired after six months because it's not your thing. Like, oh, well, we're in a world right now where the fact that you have five jobs in the past eight years does not matter anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You could also be your own company. You could do your own side hustle and make probably way more on TikTok for crying out loud at this point. So mm-hmm. what's the absolute worst case scenario? And if you're okay with it man jump into that fire Love remember it. a day remember a day back when nba players were like i'm gonna stay with one team my whole career <laughs> now you can bounce around with five teams in five years and no one cares nobody, cares. Like, nobody cares nobody yeah. cares yeah so, that the magic is over yeah yeah but you do, to your point, you have to you have to know your strengths and weaknesses. I always talk about uh, minimizing your weaknesses, maximizing your strengths. Your weaknesses are your weaknesses for a reason, right? You don't like doing them. So don't belabor it, right? I mean, make it sure that they're not so free to, in your basketball analogy. Yeah, your outside, the lack of your outside shot, that hurt you in that game, right? So so it, it was it was preventing you from being better. So yes, you need to figure out a way to at least be somewhat of a threat on the outside so that they you can jab and then go around them and do what you do best, which is your layup um but you have to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are and i am about i'm all in on leaning in on your your strengths because again that's what you love to do i have this little energy matrix that i go through which is uh, energy management so here's another thing real quick if you put together a, a you know a chart x and y graph right and the blocks right um on one axis is um priorities so 
help me achieve my priorities does not help me achieve my priorities. And on this axis is um, gives me energy or takes energy away from me. Okay. So positive energy or negative energy. And the key here is once you have that, write down everything you're doing. And I mean, not just activities and stuff like that and tasks, but like friends, family, everything, and put them in one of those buckets. Everything that is in the gives me energy and helps me achieve my goals, literally go all in on and do everything. Okay. The stuff that helps you achieve your goals, but does not give you energy, kind of sucks energy away from you. Those are important things. Those are like at, for me, it'd be like admin stuff, like finance crap, those type of things. So either segment that out and be hyper-focused so you can kind of eat the frog in the morning, do the gross stuff first so you can get back to what you like to do or outsource it to somebody else, Tim Ferriss, four-hour work week type of thing. The stuff that gives you energy but takes a but does not help you achieve your goals, those are hobbies. Those are things that you do to stay, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is, make sure you keep doing those. But the, the fastest way to get time back and to get focus back is every, and I mean everything, everything that is in the bucket of takes energy away from me and does not help me achieve my goals, cut that box out and throw it away. And I hate to say this, but this means friends. This means family. This means people and, and processes and technique, whatever it is, put them in that bucket and get them, get away from it as fast as you can. That will give you at least, if not, no shit, it'll give you probably 50% of your time back if you do that little exercise. Think about that, guys. And I remember being in a, in a keynote speech once and the guy came up on stage and his opening line was, hey guys, I want to give you the best advice that I can give you. Fire your flaky friends. And he repeated it like six times. And I think like 12 people uh, walked out of the, of the conference. And I, and I was a little bit offended by that initially. I said, why are you, why are you telling me to, you know, ditch my high school buddy that, that, you know, we used to, you know, we used to drink together. And, you know, there's some, there's some truth to this idea of just removing things from our lives that don't really bring us what you said accomplishing our goals and energy, which is yeah. love and light, basically. Totally. And look, it doesn't, I have that same problem because people say, oh, you're, you're the collection of your five closest friends and the people you hang out with. And yeah, that, to a certain degree, that's true. But to your point, like, again, Boston, my, I have kids, most of my best friends from grade school are still my best friends. Like I got five guys that I know that I go so deep with. If I don't see them for 30 years, they show up on my doorstep tomorrow, I'll die for you type of thing, right? Everybody else is kind of an acquaintance, right? But for that group of people, look, some of them aren't the most motivated people on the planet. Some of them aren't the biggest, you know what I mean? I still enjoy hanging out with them, but I compartmentalize them. I don't surround myself with them as much as I used to, as far as I'm always going out to drinking with them after work, or I'm always on the weekends hanging out with them. I still hang out, but much more selectively. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and, I, and I have my mindset of I am going to now hang out with my friends, not because I'm trying to better myself, not because I'm trying to you know, be a better person, just because I like hanging out with my friends. You know what I mean? And that's part of that does not help me achieve my goals, but gives me some energy. Right now, the people that bring, don't get me wrong. The people that bring drama into my life, you can piss off. I have systematically shaved people out of my life over the past five years that bring any drama to my life. Like I almost have this visceral reaction to it at this point when people are gossiping or any of that stuff. I'm like, I don't care who you are. I'm like, get away from me. I want nothing to do with that. Because again, it goes back to what can I control? Effort, attitude, and how I treat people. What you're talking about here has nothing to do with those things. Like- you know what I mean? Like, that's just drama. That's just crap. I, I, I can't do anything about that. Like, and nor do I want to. And mm. it's sucking energy away from me. So leave me alone. Well, uh, 
here's one for you guys. I don't know if you guys had a chance to uh, to watch the Will Smith apology YouTube <laughs> yeah. video. You yeah, guys see this that. one? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, you know, he's got multiple cameras. He's got a little bit of product placement in there. You know, he's reading or at least some sort of a script. And, yeah. you know, people might question his authenticity, his honesty in that. And of course, the uh, same thoughts came to my mind because typically sure. apology videos <laughs> um, are, are, you know, you see the guy pressing the button and pressing it again to stop it. Yeah. Um, but there was one positive takeaway that I wanted to share, which was yeah. this idea of Will Smith admits what his trauma is. He says very mm -hmm. specifically, he says, my trauma is yep. rooted around disappointment. Yeah, he actually said that in his bio, in his autobiography about how his dad beat the crap out of his mom when he was like yeah. nine years old and he yes. never stood up to his dad. And to this day, that's what drove that reaction. Now, does that excuse it? No. But right. does it explain to a certain degree? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And I think there's this idea of self-awareness of knowing what your trauma is, mm -hmm. right? My trauma is I'm afraid of public speaking. My trauma is I don't feel like I can accomplish my goals. My trauma is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But the beauty of this, which I've, it's taken me a long time to learn this, is that trauma is actually the superpower. Because totally. all you got to do is just go right into the fire. Mm -hmm. And then that's where, that's where actually the wisdom is. And that's where the, the perseverance is. And that's where the accomplishment is. And, and I think that, that's probably why Will Smith, at least used to be, yeah. one of the most successful people in Hollywood. Because he took his trauma of being abused and being yeah. bullied and whatnot. And he turned that into a positive energy. Yeah, that and 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 I think that also gives you a much different perspective. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you can't know what true joy is until you know what real pain is. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you just can't. Like, you don't you, like until you really feel pain or like loss of a loved one, whatever that is. Then you you, you have no nothing to compare pure joy to of like your child being born, you know what I mean? Like all those things. So I think it's, it's important to look into that trauma, to leverage it as your superpower. And you said something interesting there. And, and this is like Chris Voss stuff, um, labeling it. Mm. Once you label it, you can start, you can actually manage it a lot more. Like once mm. you label your emotion. So when you're yeah. negotiating with people, right? Oh, it seems like, feels like, you know, that type of thing. It seems like you're this, you it feels like you blah, blah, blah. And once you label whatever that emotion is or whatever that thing is, and that person sees it and, and understand, sees that you understand it, then you can actually open it up and, and deal with it. But you have to label it first. You have to understand what it is, what that trauma was so that you can, you can, it's almost like, you know, a buddy of mine who's going through therapy, you know, he, he felt horrible because he always judges people, right? He's like, I just, I feel bad because I always judge people all the time. And working with his therapist, he said, you know what? That that's actually okay. We all judge people, but let's do this. And he had this, he has this little like um uh, uh, uh elephant uh figurine, right? And the, the therapist was like, that's your judgy elephant, okay? But look mm -hmm. at how big your judgy elephant is. And guess what? Every once in a while, you could take your judgy element out and put it on the counter and let it play around for a little bit. <laughs> but then you take your judgy element elephant and you put it back in its place. So it's okay yeah. to be judgy. But just label right. it as and recognize it as I am now. And here's a super powerful thing. Like every time you feel like you're judging somebody in this scenario, just stop and say, I'm judging that person. Mm. And once Observe you label it, it as the it. conscious mm. what I'm doing here, hmm, the trauma factor. I, you know, what is my deep-seated trauma? Well, when it manifests itself, pause for a second, recognize that that trauma has manifested itself in this way. And just sit with it for a minute. Mm. 
Yep. You know, I wanted to I wanted to share a little uh, little little funny thing I did over the last 40, 48 hours with you guys, and I think it's very relevant for this conversation. Um, you know, there's this idea of we hide behind certain things in our lives, right? Yeah. Sometimes we're aware of it. Sometimes we're not aware of it, right? So I have this unique perspective. Rob, you and I have this unique perspective of, you know, running a video software company that helps sales leaders, um, what people hide behind because they don't want to click record, okay? They don't want to yeah. get on video. They don't have yeah. confidence. They feel imposter syndrome. They don't feel like they are good looking enough. They don't communicate well. Um, they use too many filler words. I've heard every single objection in the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's something that people hide behind, which is technology. And if you have a couple of bucks and an Amazon account, you can go buy this webcam and that gimbal and this iPhone, and you can keep buying technology, the lights. And, yeah. and by the way, I'm so guilty of this. I've got a room filled of technology. I do. Yeah. Um, but, but what's so interesting is that what people are ultimately hiding from is this idea of, I, I don't want to actually click record and I don't want to be on video. So I'm going to continually perpetually go and try to find that webcam where there's actually no more pixels. And it mm -hmm. literally looks like a Steven Spielberg movie and you never yeah. find it because you're always onto the next thing. It's your hair, it's your eyebrows, it's your teeth. It never ends. I could give you 8 million excuses <laughs> why I don't work out. And, and I actually have one for that. And I want to come back to that. Uh, but but I have personally hidden in my, I'm a musician, right? There's a guitar behind me. I have personally hidden behind this idea. I'm a drummer actually, okay? And drummers are sort of have this dependency on other musicians to, to do the song. We sort of sure. just back it up, right? Yep, yep. We're sort of like the marketing people and the CEO <laughs> or the VP of sales is the lead singer, lead right? Singer, yeah. So, you know, I have, I've had this sort of limiting belief that I, that I actually can't do a song. I can't write or play a song Mm -hmm. from start to finish. And I remember my wife and the kids were gone for the last two days. And I said to myself, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do with my two days off? This is going to be fun. Should I go to Santa Barbara? Should I call Rob, pick him up? Should we go to the bar? And what I sort of said was that I'm going to root myself in repetition. I'm just going to repeat something a thousand times until I get it right. And I'm going to see what happens during that process. So I was thinking, what should I do? And then I was like, okay, let me just go to music. I got to do music. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to learn a song and I'm going to play it from the beginning to the end. And I've been dealing with this wrist issue. So I had this sort of wrist issues and blah, blah, blah. So a little bit yeah. of pain, but I'm going to share a, uh, a visual with you guys. Okay. And this, my friends, is the beauty of repetition. So I recorded myself trying to play a song and the song that I was trying to play, I'm a Gen Xer. It's yeah. Linger by the Cranberries, in case nice. you guys know it. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it's a delicate song. It seems easy, but it's actually very challenging. Yeah. And I recorded myself doing repetition after repetition after repetition after repetition. And I started to realize something. I Number one is I continually wanted to give up. I was in pain. Yep. I was bored. I was not enjoying it. But then I started to say, you know what? There's something really special. And every single time I repeated it, I would just focus on one thing. Maybe yeah. it was the intonation or maybe it was the place that I put my index finger or maybe it was, you know, my, my volume. It was one particular thing that I would try to solve. Yeah. And then I'd go back and I'd realize if I fix, if I practice that two or three times, I would fix it. Yep. And then I'd go fix another thing and then another thing. And all of a sudden what happened after the, you know, hundredth take is I started to actually enjoy it. I was like, wow, yeah. these are all little, little tiny micro wins. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, it was like four o'clock in the morning. 
and I and I and I went back and I finally recorded my my take and I said I have to go to sleep now. And I listened to the first one and I listened to the last one and I was and I I I almost started crying. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh my god, I actually believed in myself. And I did that. And and this is a little bit of a public service announcement <laughs> that whatever we're not good at, just practice it a thousand times and find the beauty and the joy in it. Because guess what? You're actually really good at it. You just haven't prioritized it. Yeah. And I think that's like, there's something I heard. I, I'm going to misquote this. You know, the old adage of practice makes perfect, right? Mm. No, it doesn't. Nothing's perfect. Practice makes progress. Mm. That mentality is far stronger to me. Right. Because if you're practicing to be perfect, you're never going to reach it. Period. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Nothing's perfect. You mm -hmm. never will be. Mm -hmm. um, but practice makes progress. OK. Yep. Yeah. And if you and going back to the get one percent better every day, focus on continuous improvement like those are the type of things. And by the way, what you outline there is my whole philosophy on strategic thinking. Mm. I used to have a group of reps, um, you know, reporting to me and I, I, you know, when I was younger, I was dumb and I was like, Hey, you know, I just need you to be more strategic in your thinking. I need you to think outside the box, all that crap. And you know, they would look at me like, John, what are you talking about? Strategic thinking? Like, I don't, I, like, I, I barely know how to think in general for crying out loud, like forget about strategic. And I go, can I just demystify strategic thinking for you? Mm. All strategic thinking is, is outlining a process. And by the way, I don't care what the process is. I don't care how bad the process is as long have a process. Okay. And then find the weakest link of that process, whatever it is, what, right. And pull that piece down and then come up with a few ideas on how to address that thing. Okay. And practice and try and whatever. And then Figure out whatever, plug it back into the process and see how it runs. If the process gets better, go find the next weakest link. Go find the next weakest link. Go find the next, you know what I mean? And if you're constantly finding those little gaps of like, let me make this micro improvement and that micro improvement, eventually, and you do the found, you know, and you do it consistently, eventually you'll wake up one day and you'll be playing fucking Zeppelin, man. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and, and that's what I think the, again, going back to the lack of patience or the lack of, and, and you explained it, it's like, oh, they're so frustrated. I want to quit. You know how many, you know, like 90% of people would have, would have quit 90% of people. Yeah. Right. And I'm, it's, it's sad to say, but it's true. Mm. I'll say, let's do the Pareto's rule. 80, 20, 80% of the people that, that just went through what you did right there would have quit after mm. probably the fifth or sixth time. Be like, this yeah. sucks. You know what? I'm yeah. just going to go have a drink. Like, this yeah. My wife's gone. I'm going go, to go to the beach by myself. and have I literally put the bottle of wine on the counter. <laughs> I, never I never opened it. <laughs> I was yep. like, that wine represents something. <laughs> it represents failure. It does, right? <laughs> or reward at the yeah. end. You know what right. I mean? So it's like, right. if I do it before I'm done, it's failure. If I do it when I'm done, That's oh, it. that wine's going to taste so much yeah. better. That's it. Speaking of wine, you have. I'm going to go back to your website. I'd love to learn where people can learn more about you, about your yeah, process, you. about your coaching. I saw some wine grapes on your website. So you've yeah. got a corporate retreat. I, I'm in, man. T tell me yeah, where I'm going. This is, this is a fun one. So yeah, John M. Barrows. So johnmbarrows.com. I just launched that as my new website. That's my personal website. My company's okay. website is sellbetter.xyz and jbarrows.com. But um, yeah, I'm working on, I, I told you, you know, I, my dad had passed. I got ripped out of the business for a few weeks, plugged back in and it was running like a drum. That actually freaked me out because I'm like, well, what is what value do I bring to this organization now if I don't have to be the guy? You know what I mean? I mean, I was two million miles in in less than ten years. I'm working on my fourth passport. I, I was a weekend dad, you know, with my daughter growing up, and and a lot of my self worth was in driving revenue for a business. And I never really started this business because I wanted to start a company. I started this business because I didn't want a job. Uh, I'm sorry, because I didn't want a boss. That's why I started this company. And, and I woke up 10, 15 years later and I got a 
company. It's like, holy shit. Um, and it's running. And so now for me with that, with that, knowing that the business is running without me, basically, I get to play with very cool projects now. So for me, it's my podcast. I'm really leaning in on that. But then we're doing these executive retreat because um, I've realized that there's a lot of stuff out there. But, you know, I don't know about you guys. The best conversations I'm finding these days is like, if, for instance, the three of us this is a great conversation, but if the three of us were like grabbing a drink in a decent setting and just talking about like business and challenges and life and, you know, goal, like that's where some of the magic happens, especially now that I'm at this level of my career, 40s, I'm a Gen Xer too. I'm 46 years old, right? I mean, it's different for a 22 year old. I want tactics. I want, I want, train. I want, you know, fun stuff, whatever. But Doug Landis and I, a good friend um, who uh, is over at Emergence Capital, he is actually the first guy who got me into Salesforce. I prospected into him and we've had a great friendship ever since. Um, we're, we're, we're doing this executive retreat that's in, it's going to be in Napa. There's only going to be 12 people. Um, and we're going to do uh, three days. So it's a Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, out Friday. And we're going to be, you know, why vision values day one, leadership day two, Todd Capone, my good friend's going to come in on day two with, with uh, leadership development with his new book. And then we're going to have some fun each night with like a, you know, high ends uh, executive chef coming in or whatever it is. And just really try to foster really cool conversations with peers, um, trying to solve bigger problems than just what tactic are we going to use this day, you know, today to what subject line should I put in? Um, so I'm doing that. And then, um, yeah, and then I still do training. Uh, I still do. I don't do custom training anymore. I do live training um, where I do it the first and the second week of the month. Uh, anybody can join. And then I got my keynotes and everything else there. So, but you can hit me up. Like if anybody's interested, uh, LinkedIn, I, I, this is going to sound like a humble brag, but it sucks. I wish LinkedIn would take this restriction off. I've hit the 30,000 connection uh, limit. And I asked, I asked LinkedIn, I'm like 30,000, what? And they're like, well, we want to make sure your relationships, you have tight relationships with everybody you're connected to. I'm like 30,000. I'm like, that's the limit you chose. I'm like, you should have chosen 10, but, <laughs> but 30,000 I'm blocked now. So I can't accept any more invitations, but you can follow me. But, um, Instagram and, uh, TikTok, I'm having some fun on TikTok right now. <laughs> my ass handed to me on TikTok. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's me. Fifth grade picture right there. Uh, that's my first cold call on the right hand side there, by the way. Uh, but yeah, Instagram is actually where I do all my coaching. So if reps have questions, they can hit me up on Instagram and I'll get right back to them on anything. And it's John, the same thing as the website, John M. Barrows. Nice. Well, John, gratitude. Appreciate you. Rob, any, any closing thoughts here? Boston? Oh, yeah. Listen, you know, uh, John knows winners because he's back in Boston. I tell everyone out here in L.A. that all the time. Where are you yeah. from? Boston. You know, title town. I'm sure you've yeah. heard of it. Yeah. So, and yeah. we don't buy them either. <laughs> well, the Red, no. Sox try, the Red Sox try to, but that's why they suck right now. <laughs> well, John, people show up at sports games laid out here. They're like, oh, what time is the second half yet? I think I'll show up. In Boston, we're there pre, pre-funking in the parking lot before it even starts. I have a quick theory on that one real quick, I, and I understand why. The weather sucks here in Boston. So we only have a certain amount of time. So we're usually inside, right? Whereas yeah. out West, the weather's nice. So they're always got something else to do. So that's why we are much deeper fans over here in, in the, on the East Coast than they are on the West Coast. I know people are going to yell at us for it. I don't care. It's just true. Like, we're not fair weather fans. No matter how bad the Patriots were before Brady came on, we stuck with them. No matter how bad the Red Sox are, we'll stuck with them. Out there, if they suck, nobody watches. If, they love, if they're going to the Super Bowl, everybody loves them, so. It is what we it used is. we used to sit on the bleachers in Shaper Stadium, back Sullivan Stadium. Back was horrible, horrible. So yeah, do you actually have a bleacher? You actually have a bleacher piece, don't you? <laughs> well, uh, Rob, I actually wanted to get one for you. Oh, here we go. We got. Yeah. Hold on. 
There we go. Yeah, there, there we go. Okay. This, this, this is my friend's season ticket right here. This was the oh. bench that we sat on for the for the snowball for that for the tuck rule game. Oh, this was awesome. this was my seat. <laughs> Ruben, Ruben, the tuck rule. Just so you know, we got away with one, but we're okay with it. Yep. Sorry, we got away with it and it feels it was, great. <laughs> it, so this is the thing on the tuck rule. It was a bullshit rule. Uh, yep. But it was the rule. It was the rule. Correct. It was it the was rule. The, that's right. That's right. Don't hate us and for it. <laughs> Woodson's good buddy Brady. It's like, come on, come on, Tom. You know I got you. Did you, did you see that whole interview? interview? Oh, Did you great, see that yeah. whole interview between the two? They were just giving each, and yep. Brady kept trying to defend it. And then at the end, he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forget it. Yeah, I know. It's so good. So good. Yep. Yeah, nice. That's awesome. Well, John, thank you so much. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, stick around for some show notes. Um, you know, we encourage people to to go back and to listen to this podcast a couple of times. There were some nuggets in here that, that definitely John brought us. So uh, thank you guys so much for being the best part about Dub. Thank you for enjoying this episode of Connection Loop. Um, my wife always has a way to call the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks All for right. having me on, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, John.